Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hands-On Safety. I'm very excited today to have our first guest on the show and uh, looking forward to hearing what they're going to talk to us about today. Um, I have had a lot of requests recently about things that have come up in the blindness community around harassment and, and consent and boundaries, and so we wanted to bring some information about that to you all today. So uh, with me, as always, is George. Hey, everybody. And Megan. Hello, everyone. And our guests today are Laura Millar. Hey, folks. And Bobby Pompey. Hey. So, Laura, um, I want you and Bobby to tell us a little bit about yourselves, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, my name's Laura Miller. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I identify as a white cisgender woman. I am um, pansexual and polyamorous. I'm a mama. Um, and I do work in the blind community around sex education, and especially the topic that we're going to be talking about today, consent. And I do a lot of that work with Bobby. I'll let her introduce herself. Which means I get to tag along and watch Laura do amazing stuff and sometimes open my big mouth and share opinions, uh, which <laughs> is one of my specialties. So I am Bobby Pompey. I go by she, her, or they, them pronouns. And I identify as a Black blind person with multiple disabilities. I work in the blindness field on a professional level as an independent living skills instructor at the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. And I also uh, work as an adjunct professor at San Francisco State in their graduate programs for people who are going into the field of blindness. Um, and so blindness is my work. I do a lot of kind of work within the blindness community and different organizations in my free time also. And in doing this work, I met Laura and Laura's become one of my best friends and I love watching her on her consent soapbox and I feel like over time she's she's pushed more and more over it to me and it is starting to become a, a soapbox of mine so I'm excited I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation are you guys sharing the soapbox or do you have individual with, with the entire community we are <laughs> working on building a culture of consent together yes. with Blind folks, yeah. with sighted folks, with anyone that will listen. So, I like that we keep having us. Yeah. Laura, Laura is very much about building community, and I love that. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm gonna hand out little consent so boxes to everybody. Everybody needs mm -hmm. Christmas gifts for One everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you get a soapbox, and you get a soapbox, <laughs> and you get a soapbox. You get a consent. Oh, my designer brain is going crazy now. Okay, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> um. So, so just to to frame this conversation for your listeners, the reason that I feel like consent is so important is because ideally, in an ideal world, this is what happens before anybody needs to apply the hands-on safety, the parts of the conversation that you, you really dive into on a weekly basis. Um, and that consent is something that happens when one person voluntarily agrees to, to the proposals or the desires or the needs of another person. And that involves us having personal boundaries and checking in with people about what their boundaries are um, and making clear that we are agreeing before an action can take place. And so in this conversation, if your listeners are standing at an intersection, um, and for the purpose of this conversation, let's assume your, your listeners are sighted and they are observing a blind person at the intersection. They may have a desire to reach out, to guide the person across the intersection. Any number of things might pop into their head. But in a culture of consent, what we are asking folks to do is to stop and to think through a little bit the scene and what might be happening to first of all, assume agency, to assume bodily autonomy, that the blind person has the ability to consent to whether or not you're going to touch them. And so you may still feel the need to approach. And then you ask, do you need some help? Do you need some assistance? They may completely ignore you. They may tell you to um, leap off 
they may ask for assistance. Any number of those things can take place, but in a culture of consent, they are agreeing to, and they are communicating what their needs are. You are not assuming them, you're not taking responsibility for them, and they have agency in the situation. So I think it's really important that, that we start talking about consent um, because when people are at the intersection with me and they grab me and they say, I'm just trying to help, my words are, I don't consent um, because they have not engaged in a conversation with me. So I am definitely passionate about building this culture of consent together. And that includes blind folks, that includes sighted folks, that's all of us working together. I think that's a really important point to make that that people um, often consider people with disabilities to be community property where they feel like, and I, and I don't think it's just people with disabilities, of course, you know, pregnant women get this too, where people just feel like they can come up and put their hands on you and, and never think about whether or not that's okay or whether or not that person wants that. And so getting that out to people to, to help people realize that people with disabilities especially should be treated like everyone else. If you, if you don't want someone to come up and grab you while you're standing on the street corner, then, you know, don't do it to other people. Um, having that conversation, and it, especially for people who are blind, it's, it's always a good idea to approach them by, by speaking to them first. Um, there's nothing for me more disconcerting than being grabbed by someone who's never said a word that I may or may not even realize is there or being approached by somebody who who hasn't spoken to me until they're standing at my elbow and, um, you know, being surprised by it. I mean, I agree with that. You should at least say, oh, hey, how you doing or something. Just so say hi to people um, before you engage, in, uh, especially physical contact and consent is very important. And uh, what I've noticed um, watching videos with all the stuff that happened this summer here in the States, um, I've been watching a lot of videos with police interacting with citizens. And one thing I've always noticed in a lot of the videos, as soon as a law enforcement officer touches an individual, that's where everything goes awry. Mm -hmm. So consent, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, violating someone's personal space, you know, is a personal violation to that individual. I think some people don't understand that. Uh, they think they're in a position of authority. They can say that, or they think that, you know, cause I'm a male, I can tell a woman certain things. And sometimes women say that to men, you know, but it's um, people have to realize you're violating your individual's personal space. And that's, that's mainly where a lot of these issues begin, you know, um, regardless of the situation. And I would like to expand it too, because I think sometimes consent gets pigeonholed into physical things. So whether when you, most people think about consent, their minds go straight to sex. And is it like consenting to physical sexual activities? And then in the blindness community, um, this example of being at an intersection and being grabbed comes up a lot. But, and all of those are, are definitely valid and excellent answers of consent. But it's also the people who approach and are wondering, like, I have a guide dog. So it may be like, well, what's your dog's name? Tell me all about the dog. Or how long have you been blind? Or how blind are you? Like, what made you blind? All of those are things that I did not consent to have this conversation with you. <laughs> um, and so it's not just asking the question, it's permission to ask if you can even ask the question, which may sound weird, but it's not just going, oh, I don't know this information, so I should ask this person. It's asking, does this person even want to have this conversation? So it's like, oh, I have a question about, about your blindness. Would you be open to answer it instead of just like, oh, how long have you been blind? Like, or what made you blind? Which are things that people will happen, will ask regularly. So it's not just the physicality. It's just how you engage with people in general. And I really resonate with your point, George, of saying hi. Um, it makes me think of something I experience a lot when I'm flying is I, whether I'm boarding the plane or getting off the plane, you're in that line with people and the flight attendants or flight stewardesses, I forget which name is the proper one or the preferred one, but the airplane staff is there and they're greeting people and it's hello, welcome to the flight. If you're leaving, it's I hope you had a good flight, like enjoy your trip or make your transfer, whatever those things are. It's all like 
shaking hands and kissing babies. <laughs> and then <laughs> as soon as I show up as the blind person, I don't get any of that. I don't get any of that. Hello, how are you? I don't get any of that. I hope you had a good flight. Enjoy your trip. All of a sudden, I am the disability and I become handled. So that also just goes into that, that that consent is recognizing that this person is a person and can even make those decisions. And that can be a radical idea with people with disabilities, because we tend to think of them as people who need to be taken care of. So shifting it to just even getting people's mind to wrap around the fact that as a blind person, I actually can make a decision for myself. Like even that takes a mind shift. So it's a lot of addressing the person as a person, asking them if they want to engage in the way that you want to engage them in, and then respecting that they can actually make these decisions themselves. And if it is something they maybe can't make a decision of, or they would like more input on, they're probably able to express that also. And it just all fits together and it just becomes way more than making physical contact. It's like all levels of interaction. I get that. I've had an experience. I'm the guy that will chase down a person who's blind and like to say hi to him. And mainly the reason, oh the reason why, the reason why, <laughs> I, the um, reason why is that because doing the self-defense program for the blind, uh, I have now I have, I feel I have something, you know, to offer and a lot of people have not heard of it. So to give two examples real quick, I went to this uh, event uh, in Vegas a couple of years ago. It was called the uh, Mark Stark Super Show. And, they, you know, thousands of people from martial arts from all over the world go to there. And I saw someone with a white cane and like, whoa, you know, so I, I went over and started talking to him for he's there for the, he's there for the conference, of course, and interested in martial arts. And I asked him, had you heard about the program? And he told me he had, uh, he worked, can't remember what state it was, but at a um, lighthouse. And he said, I've been trying to get a hold of the director. I go, really? So I took his information, I passed it on. Uh, because I just think I had never seen someone that was blind at the, at the convention as my second time going. So I'm like, hey, I know some stuff that he may be interested in. Another one was uh, here in Savannah. And I mentioned on the show before, there's a gentleman, I see him walking the streets, sometimes by himself, sometimes with friends. And he's blind and he's walking by himself at night, going to the bars. You see him in the bars and everyone knows him. He's living his best life ever, just doing his thing. He's the only one I will ever see out at night. Uh, and I've approached him and mentioned the program as well to him. You know, see, he'd be interested in it, in it because I'm trying to spread the word of this program. When it comes to self-defense for anything, whether you're sighted, whether you're male or female, whether you're young, I will. I go to people and tell them, hey, this is what I have to offer. Would you be interested? And so that's why, you know, I will chase down people. And <laughs> But that's been my experience. But at the same time, I didn't go up to him like, you know, I go, excuse me. My name's George. Uh, do you, uh, can, I, can I talk to you for a moment? And I don't just go, hey, how you doing? And just grab people because I know better. But I had to be taught this, you know, and just. Yeah. I think it's a really good, good point that you bring up, George, is and Bobby actually taught me this is everybody that is approaching you has an intention of their own and they have a curiosity or an unmet need or something of their own. And so in that question, where did you get your guide dog? They may have a niece that's looking into getting a guide dog. They may have uh, needs themselves. They may just be curious where to donate. There's so many reasons, but that question is intrusive. That question is piercing into my space instead of the person saying, I have a niece that's thinking about getting a guide dog. Would you mind if I asked you some questions? I would be in, I, I have informed consent. I know what conversation I'm opting into or out of as opposed to the other ones that are just intrusive into my space. And so um, definitely people need, need to be taught that. And so I'm glad we're having this conversation today. Yeah, Laura, I like the, the framing because I, I think of one time when you have stuff without context as a person of any minority, like you're used to getting it from that ableist, racist, homophobic, like xenophobic, like whatever it is, you're used to getting it from that lens. And it's like, this person is asking me a question about this part of my identity. For me, I often assume bad, assume bad intentions, which I should work on. And I know that. But I can remember being at the subway and that's early in the morning. I am 
not a morning person. So there's that. <laughs> Amen to that. And I'm just, I'm standing there waiting on the train. Like I, you know, have my, my guide dog. She's sitting there doing her thing. Just, just waiting for the train. And just all of a sudden I'm totally blind. And all of a sudden there is a person in front of me and I'm standing fairly close to the track, like not right at the edge, mm. but it's just, it's very disconcerting because all of a sudden I usually listen to a podcast or something. So I have something playing in my ear and there's just a woman in front of me and she's like, are you blind? And it's just, there's no context. And it's like, okay, I'm very visibly blind. Like you clearly know or strongly suspect that I am blind. Like, where are we going with this conversation? And I did not respond well. I mean, it was a, it was a very cold shoulder, like, yeah. <laughs> and it ended up being very off-putting to her. And as she's like walking away, she mumbles like, oh, I have a sister that's going blind. And so now the teacher in me, my heart is breaking because it's like, oh, that could have been a person that I pulled in. I could have shared all the information. Like you mentioned that want to share information, George. Mm. But because there was no framing, right. I didn't have that opportunity for informed consent. And so based off of my perception and all the stuff that I have going on in my brain, I responded in a way that Offensive, in a sense was defensive yeah, yeah because normally when people are asking that it's like a morbid curiosity it doesn't serve a greater right. purpose or if it does it takes us a while to get there um so i think coming in clear with your intentions around any kind of conversation um just like before we started recording this show i have some genuine curiosities and it's like well i'd like to know how all of you as a podcasting how did this <laughs> come to be right um, but it's not just coming in the room and be like, okay, where y'all come from? Like, <laughs> like it's, you start and you frame it and then people can better respond because they, they, they know what the why is and it, it just gives them opportunity to, to opt into that conforms consent. Um, Laura and Bobby both, you know, making me get a better understanding about consent because being teaching martial arts, being in the military, it's always a physical thing for me mentally. I never really thought, I, I know about the mental part, but never really thought about it so much. So um, quick story, kind of similar to yours, Bobby. Um, someone engaged in a conversation that was kind of a very awkward conversation um, and there was no consent at whatsoever. So I was in the airport, I'm going to the carousel to go get my bags. Uh, uh, well, those who don't know, I'm black. And there was a gentleman, tall white gentleman, and I guess he was there with his wife. And he turns around to me, he goes, hey, where are you from? I'm uh, <laughs> was kind of, kind of put off by go, New York. Well, before that, uh, he goes, don't worry, he goes, where are your parents from? New York. Well, before that, um, North Carolina. <laughs> like, well, before that, I'm trying to think, do you mean Africa? And he, and he turned around to his wife and then he said something to her. So I got sucked into some type of conversation between his wife or whatever and never talked to the guy, never saw the guy, but he felt comfortable enough to just to come up to me or confident enough and ask me these, you know, um, probing questions try to get a type of, some type of response, but I didn't give, it, give him the response he was expecting. I kind of knew what he was talking about, but it's like, why is he even asking me these questions? So I can understand, you know, uh, we're talking about like on the subway train, um, it has to be a frame of, frame of reference to engage in a conversation. And I never really thought about that. So you ladies just, just mentioned uh, that consent of even, you know, that type of deal. So. Yeah. so George, I actually, I had to learn that when it came to Uber drivers. Um, I am a white woman who grew up in Africa and so when I am in the Bay Area and I'm in an Uber uh, with anybody with an accent, I want to talk international. I want to talk yeah. the world. But I have learned that it is so important if I'm going to go there and invite this person into a conversation that I frame it with, I grew up internationally. I hear an accent. Would you mind if I ask where you're from? They're getting this a million times a day in a way that is making them uncomfortable, in a way that is not inviting them into a framing conversation. Some people do want to talk and they have brilliant conversations and some people, you know, they really don't. Or um, So anyway, it's a great example. 
I like mm-hmm. this. I, you know, I'm from New York, so we t- I, you say New Yorkers are not friendly. Yes, we are. We will talk to anybody <laughs> when we have time to do it. You know, when you're outside, you're going to work, going to school, you're doing something. But when you're in a social setting, we make friends. We'll, we'll go to a train, train stop, a bus stop, whatever. But like this train's late. Yeah, it was late yesterday. I have a whole conversation about the train being late to somebody you don't even know their name. You, you had some mm-hmm. commonality involved in it. So I used to drive Uber uh, as well. And um, I just know when I meet people, one thing I would always say, because I engage in conversations with people, like, I really love your accent. Where is that accent from? And compliments work. Not like it was like trying to get at me in a certain way, but people like they take, so you feel like they, you're being taken, uh, general, general interest is being taken into you. You will kind of be willing to provide information and engage in that conversation. That's what I found out. And I used to be an army recruiter. So I had to engage with people on the street that, Saw my uniform thinking, I'm not talking to this guy and have, you know, great conversations sometimes about joining the army, sometimes not. But um, it's, it's, a, it's how you approach people and, you know, that the level of consent, it's, it's how you first engage with them. Right. Because I, I typically, I mean, I get questions all the time and I typically have never minded answering questions. I feel like I'd rather people ask a question than make assumptions. But, you know, th- there's always going to be those days where, you know, it's six o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm not awake or, or I've heard this question 15 times today <laughs> and I'm, I'm just not in the mood anymore. And so it's not always easy for me to answer in the nicest way or it's not always, I don't always have the time to, to have a teaching moment or an information sharing moment. And so it will happen that I'm standoffish sometimes, but then I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel like I'm expected to always provide people with information either, which is a, which is a trap I get myself into where I feel like if they're asking this question, I need to give them information. And, and I, um, I shouldn't feel that way about myself. And, and, in the same context, other people shouldn't feel like I should always be willing to answer those questions either. But you're not the voice of the blind community. Like no, I'm not. The I'm not. Yeah. Community. Right. And that you shouldn't feel in that situation. So another quick, quick story. When I was in college, I went to a, a private military college in Vermont. And um, I was a sophomore, one of the seniors. Uh, I was the only black guy in my company. So the company was about maybe, you know, 40, 40 50 guys. And we're in the, we had the, we call it gang showers, just a bunch of shower heads and, you know, one shower. So we're in the shower and, you know, you're doing your own thing. Uh, it was the same time that they had the, uh, the, uh, the riots in LA after mm-hmm. uh, the verdict with um, OJ Simpson. And mm-hmm. um, actually, not OJ Simpson, it was uh, Rodney King. And, Rodney um, King. Yeah. Right. So that's about the time I was in school. And one of the guys is like, hey, so and you call me free. Hey, free. So, so why is such and such Madison? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my head as the voice of black America in the shower, you know, <laughs> I have to represent and tell you how a whole group feels. So it was a very, you know, there was no consent. To, well, it doesn't sound right in the shower, but it was like, yeah. there, was, there was no consent in that conversation. Just, I knew him. So there was already a relationship established, but he always would seem to ask me his questions like this in the shower, but I always felt uncomfortable because one, it was a question about race. Uh, and well, I wasn't prepared to answer, you know, cause I wasn't, you know, fully abreast about that particular situation. So, right. you know, but I always felt like I had the answer for all the black people when mm-hmm. that's not my job. Right. So, but some people put, some people put that on you. Definitely. So that, that was 100% my experience when I received my dog guide, the school that I received it from said, you are a spokesperson. You represent our mm-hmm. school. Every time your dog puts that mm-hmm. harness on. And people might be donors. They laid this responsibility of advocacy on, and and I was as I said at the beginning of the show, I was socialized as a as a good girl. And it took me years to realize that these were consent violations that were taking place around my guide dog, and this is why I was so uncomfortable. Um, and I can be a spokesperson <laughs> with consent by my side for um, being a blind person out there with agency and living independently and all of those other things. And so definitely we are not tokens. We are not spokespeople. So Laura, it's you, also you... just such a consent violation to tell somebody that. Because <laughs> I hear it a lot. Like I hear it from, from dog guide schools. I hear it from blindness agencies to tell someone that, and even like I, 
I went to a historically black college. So I'm like, was very much put in this whole thing of like, you are the race representative or the whatever representative. And even that is a consent violation to tell me that whether I like it or not, whether I enjoy it or not, whether it causes me stress or not, whether it takes time out of my day when I got other stuff to do or not, that I am supposed <laughs> to do this thing, like that is a consent violation. And so I personally, when I talk to, especially the class at San Francisco State of people that will be teaching usually uh, blind kiddos from K to 12, it's that conversation of advocacy isn't always educating. And I think that's something that when you hear of advocacy, it is that advocacy from an education standpoint of like, I'm an advocate for so-and-so. And and that means I I get on my little soapbox and I, I, I tell you all about these things. And that's not the only way that advocacy can look like advocacy can, can, of any number of things because it's you doing what you need to do and so it might not be answering everybody's little questions and I I just hate that we put that pressure on people because it is it can make you very uncomfortable and very torn and not really sure how to proceed right you made me think of something completely different you know both Laurie and Bobby about you know consent in the garbage like I said and mentally uh aspect mm-hmm. of it uh emotional aspect of it um because it's always not physical and you know you made me think about experiences I've had before. Like I said, it, it transcends, you know, race, gender, you know, uh, disabilities. It's just a human thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, actually, I had the funniest situation was um, one of my students, um, you know, he's, he was at the time, he's a five-year-old, you know, Chinese-American kid. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there in class. I teach Taekwondo. And he's like, Mr. George, and he's, he's touching my hand. Why are you black or why are you brown? thinking, oh, God, how do I answer this question to this five-year-old kid? And I just like, well, God made me that way. He's like, oh, okay. I go, just like you're Asian. His sister was like nine. It's like, what's Asian? I go, okay, great. Another conversation wasn't ready to have. You know, but it's, it's that one thing, you know, that consent wasn't there, but they felt comfortable enough to ask me the question. And sometimes uh, being asked that question, uh, maybe I might say more important than the consent, but maybe as important as the consent, like you said, Bob, you were on the subway train and the lady had said something different, like, excuse me, may I talk to you, may I ask you a question and, and mentioned that her sister was, was um, going through a situation where she was becoming blind. It would have been a different situation for both of you, you know? So Absolutely. And, it, that's, that's a, and that to me, that is what consent is. It makes sure that everybody gets the most out of the situation. Hmm. And, I can't, if someone has questions, if I have questions, beating around the bush doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't get us to where we ultimately need to go. And you're right. Like how she started with that, excuse me, um, my my sister's going blind. Like I, I believe you are blind. Are you? I have some questions. Then I know exactly what's expected to me. I can like take my brain from the get ready from for work phase and I can put it into the like, what might I want to share with this person who's in this situation? But if it's just thrown out cold, it's like, I don't, I don't know what you need. Um, so another way that it comes up is sometimes when I'm interacting with maybe an Uber driver, someone in the airport, uh, medical staff, like anything where I am in a position where I maybe do need some type of assistance or information a common question that people will just jump in with is like, well, how much can you see? And so that question alone is like, it makes people feel different. But a lot of times what they're really getting at is what can I do to help you? Because they're trying to avoid saying like, you know, follow the sign that says elevators that way. Or they're trying to avoid like saying, you know, follow me or like all these kind of things. But if you start with what can you see? we don't get to the point any faster. (laughs) Like it was like, Oh, I'm trying to do so-and-so. And And even if the, they ask the wrong question, it's like, Oh, actually, so you can help me in this way. Instead of like, now we have to have a conversation. And especially for people, me, I have a very clear cut answer. I'm totally blind. Like that is clear. But most people who are blind, the answer is not that clear. So we, we almost, we waste time going through this whole thing when we can, if people state their intentions from the beginning, you can just 
it straight to the point and now everybody gets what they need out of the experience well before i lost the remainder of my vision um my my problem was because um my vision i was low vision from birth well what can you see well i don't I don't know how to explain that to you in a way that you'll understand because I don't know what you can see. Mm-hmm. It's it's also just so important to emphasize that you don't owe anyone your story. Like nobody does. Mm-hmm. And so so that is something that I don't think people hear enough and and if if like myself, I keep saying this, but I was, I was socialized to be nice. I feel like I owe you an explanation. And so it's just so much easier if it is totally informed, it's going to trigger my, my desire to help more than likely when I know that the intention is coming from you have a need as well, or you have a desire to learn from me as well. Um, it's really important. Well, after so a couple I- of drinks, I'll tell you my whole story. <laughs> um, you know, um, and, you know, I, I like what you just said about that. Um, when I teach women self-defense, it's one thing in the program, you know, women are, are programmed to be nice, to be, you know, not non-aggressive. And that's not always the best thing, uh, especially for a young lady growing up. She needs to be assertive sometimes. She needs to be able to protect herself. And I think, we, you know, men have done the service to women setting up this whole conscript of behavior that a young lady is supposed to su- subscribe to. Uh, that doesn't help at all. So, yeah, being, this, you know, and something that consent does also is it just knowing that there is consent for me at least empowers me. Like it lets me know that I have language, I have a recourse out in the world. It makes me feel like Leslie was mentioning earlier about like her introduction to self-defense was walking around on a college campus late at night. And so consent can give you that same security blanket of like that much empowerment, that much autonomy in the world, because you, you have the knowledge that I have the right to say no. Like I have the right to have this interaction go the way that I want it to go. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. can play a part in shaping that, play a part in controlling that, it relieves so much more anxiety than if you're going out, or worry would probably be the best word, than if you're going out into the world knowing that something could happen that is not how you would like it to happen at any moment. Like if you go out there knowing like, yeah, stuff may happen, but I can, I can call it out. I can re shape it I can guide someone into the direction like we can have a totally different conversation it just it's it gives a different level of confidence and empowerment if somebody knows they have autonomy and they know that people should respect that and we've talked before on the show about getting into a mindset of how to think about your interactions with people and I apologize for cutting you off there Laura um just getting into that mindset we've and we've talked about it in a way of a mindset of how to think about things when you go out you know being prepared to uh, pay more attention and being prepared of what you're going to do if you get into certain situations and how to assess certain situations but you know this is this is another mindset to get into to thinking about this and and the more that you think about how your interactions are going to go or how you assert yourself in certain situations, the easier it will become to do that. And of course, it will certainly be easier uh, as you practice it. So I I definitely, I want to share a story, a personal story as a parent, Um, being a sex educator and doing consent. My son, who is now 13, has this language down and has had it exposed most of his life. Um, He is also somebody who pre-COVID went through the world world not liking anybody to touch him, including doctors and everybody else who is not immediate family. So we had to give him language early, early on around handshakes. So when he meets people and people put out their hand, he's a sighted child, but when he meets people and they extend their hand, he says, no, thank you. I don't shake hands. It's nice to meet you anyway. They'll say, what about a fist bump? He says, no, thank you. I don't touch. You know, he, he will just explain the very briefly, he doesn't owe people his story, but he just explains, I don't touch. Um, if somebody, often people like to ruffle his hair, he will instantly say, don't touch me. Um, he was on a field trip once and a parent uh, 
kept pushing I him into line. And the parent said that my son kept saying, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. And the parent said to him, say, please don't touch me. Um, and my son said, I shouldn't have to say, please, you shouldn't be touching me. At that point, this parent said that they were going to have a conversation with me at the end of the day. <laughs> and so first thing my son did was come home and say, what would you have done, mom? Because she shouldn't have been touching me and I shouldn't have to say, please. My son at a very young age had the language of consent. He knows that even doctors should not touch his body without telling him exactly what's going to happen. And so I think that's really important. And I speak to parents all the time about from diaper changes all the way on up through adulthood, you are modeling consent in every situation. I imagine that conversation with the parent went very differently than they expected. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. That Someone parent actually you, huh? never... <laughs> Never contacted. The parent never actually talked to me, but I, um, I do have one other um, scenario, and that is with a doctor that reached out to comfort my son in a moment, and my son pulled away, and the doctor um, spoke about my son's defensiveness in that moment, and it was where I had to stop the doctor and say, actually, in our family, we're having an advanced conversation about consent you did not ask his permission before touching him. That doctor said, I ask permission before touching my patients with a stethoscope. I ask before looking in their ears or down their throats. I wouldn't even know what it looks like to ask before comforting them. And so then I shared with him about a, a group that I ran, a support group that I helped run at the time where we plant the seeds of consent. If somebody starts crying in the group and you feel the urge to comfort them, you express that urge. You ask if they would like you to hug, give them a hug or if you'd like to put their hands on them. You don't just put their hands, your hands on them. And so in that moment, as the patient and my son is sitting there, we are educating the doctor about advanced level consent. And so I just know that, that as parents, we give our kids power and agency when we give them the language of consent. And also to that, I know... For me, if I'm if I'm in a situation like I have been in those groups where someone is crying. And so if I were in the situation where I was the person crying, getting an unconsensual hug, like if that is something where it's like it's actually okay, even though they didn't ask, like that's fine. But there's something about that added touch of hearing somebody, whether it is a friend, whether it is like a, you know, someone you just know through the support group or whatever it is. But the doctor that added, I see you are struggling and I would really love to comfort you. Can I give you a hug? Makes that hug so much more special than just a hug. And I don't think people, I don't think people realize that added benefit of throwing in extra language on top of the action that really can make the action that much more special. And so a lot of times, like the doctor that Laura mentioned, people feel like incorporating language of consent is going to be clunky. They imagine it as like this 21 questions that before you say anything, it's like, okay, so I would like to do this and I would like to have this. And they, like, they see it as a very um, intrusive thing. If you're talking about sex, people are like, well, how is it? sexy to like have consent if we're in the middle of of being intimate and there's something else I would like to add in people are like well dang now we got to stop and do an interview in the middle of <laughs> this moment um, and the same thing with that doctor people fear that they're going to ruin the moment sometimes and I think it really really can enhance because it gives the person who is asking for consent to do something an opportunity to to really express their intentions and their why and their their thought process that can be super powerful um, and really just enhance the situation in my opinion. That's a really good point and something now. I've <laughs> I have never I've never even considered um, either from a person who is being comforted or from a person offering comfort is is how much that may or may not enhance the situation. You know this conversation is going to be one that the whole world is about to start having at a much deeper level. As we come out of quarantine, as we come out of our COVID bubbles, whenever that might be, 
we will be navigating people's comfort level around touch, people's yes. comfort mm-hmm. level around distance. Mm-hmm. And, and so the more we just incorporate this in our everyday language, the more that people are comfortable with this, the, the easier this transition will be for, for folks. But it's definitely going to become something that we're all talking about much, much more. Yeah, I think you're running that, Laura, because uh, I, I do a lot of different things. So I also bartend <laughs> on the weekends. And the thing is, people want, I realize um, when I do go out, here in Georgia, is pretty much almost wide open. Um, people want to shake hands, people want to hug, and, but we don't know what to do. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like you just look at somebody like, you know, you sound with your son with a handshake or a fist bump. We don't even know which one we're supposed to do. <laughs> and, but people really want to, you know, engage with other, you know, but human, human touch, you know, uh, it's a normal thing. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plans out. Plans out because um, people being close. I was um, at a supermarket um, several weeks ago, and there was like three women behind me, and they were like about maybe two feet away from me. I kept looking back, like, "Do you not know what's going on in the world?" You know, I was not comfortable with being that close, but I've been really, you know, close to people, uh, you know, in lines or whatnot, subway trains and all that. But I didn't feel comfortable having them that close, and they didn't have masks on. So it was like you broke, you're breaking all the rules right now. Right. You know, so people get into their comfort zones already a little early and not being cognizant of other people around them. And so that's kind of like, you know, consent is being cognizant of, you know, what's going on and how someone else feels, you know, being sensitive mm-hmm. to their, their, their feelings. I don't think we look at it that way either. My, and also my there's absolute... just been such a, such a lack of people even feeling like they have permission to say that you've crossed a boundary. Like, why is it that based off the world that we were in, your boundaries were being violated, but yet you were the one that was uncomfortable, like saying something, right? Um, And I I think of the same thing of a good friend, we had gone walking and this was early on in like having to wear a mask. And I will admit that it was, it took me a while to be able to breathe like I need to. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, a mask that is gorgeous, but it's not super breathable. And I didn't know this. So you're all figuring this out. I also have like underlying heart conditions. And so we're walking and I had reached a point where I really just needed to take off the mask and breathe. Um, but I also hadn't really built in that habit of take off the mask, put it back on. So we stopped and I took a moment to breathe and I was like, I'm okay now. And we just kept walking. And I didn't even think about the fact that I didn't have my mask on. And it really made my friend uncomfortable. And we walked maybe five minutes um, and they stopped and I could just feel their discomfort. And they were like, I really, I need to say this. Like, I have to say this. They were almost stuttering over their speech. Like I could almost feel them shaking in letting me know that I was crossing a boundary and it was like, Bobby, put your mask on. Um, and so just even it, that showed me one, like I didn't mind putting the mask on. It's like, oh man, I really had forgotten. But just the idea that there was so much discomfort around asserting a boundary is like, oh, we really need a culture of consent. Because in an ideal world, I would have loved for that friend to have all of the empowerment, all of the socialization to know if they set a boundary, it didn't have to be a big deal and that that boundary would be respected. I like that. Because right now it's just so weird in the world where there are people who want to wear a mask who don't wear a mask. So you don't really know what people's sides are sometimes. Right. Uh, but even when our conversation we had a little bit earlier um, about people asking, sometimes people don't know what how to ask and that will impede, you know, them asking, even asking at all, because they may be embarrassed to, they don't want to say mm-hmm. the wrong thing, like you said earlier, Bobby, you know, um, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's asking the questions, like you said, just spit it out. But, you know, I, I learned, you know, we called it um, tactical questioning, you know, <laughs> to, you know to, get, to get answers. Um, I just found, as I said earlier, saying hi, you know, say, excuse me, I mean, I talked to you for a second, you know, those little uh, buzz, you know, words or that can be said just to engage conversation, get the person's attention you like to talk to and let, make them feel comfortable that you're about to ask them questions. So sometimes, especially those who are excited, we don't know what to ask. We don't because we're not around people who are blind. We, you know, like I said earlier, sometimes we just don't see people who are blind because we never, you never notice things until like example, 
I bought a Highlander years ago. I never saw a Highlander on the street until I bought one and everyone had one all of a sudden, you know? So it's just that way, nothing's important to you per se until you are directly involved in it. And I think as far as the issue, just having, you know, being, asking that question um, and getting out of, out of your comfort zone because that's your issue, that's your issue. Uh, and then asking people, you know, may I talk to you? May I assist you or something of that nature? And just give it a try. Just, you know, like I said, if you say the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, but at least they're starting the dialogue and they can learn something from it. So, George, I, I, I definitely hear that sometimes these big the conversations can be complicated to start. But I just want to with the with the handshake. Um, I actually learned that one of the things that folks are doing out there in the world with COVID, as opposed to handshakes now, is they're doing elbow bumps. And yeah. I learned yep. <laughs> that I learned that it's by funny. listening to somebody ask consent when they met. They said, would you like handshake, elbow bunk, bump, or neither? <laughs> and I, my mind was kind of blown because they didn't realize that they were bumping elbows. But that is an example of like, it doesn't have to be awkward. You're laying out the different scenarios, which include opting out completely. And it's, you just move on, but it's nice to meet you. So anyway, you can learn a lot by by just a little vocalizing consent and it does well, not and you can also learn a lot by sense. saying you can learn a lot by saying that you don't know like like this yeah. whole thing that this this entitlement of you have to be an expert and so a lot of times when i have questions i start them by so i don't know about whatever it is and so i realize that even asking this question i might not do that right can i still ask this question and when I'm on the receiving end of that, like that lets me know this person is aware um, and they are trying to be as appropriate as they can, but they, they recognize that they don't know everything. And I think where we get into a lot of things is, is that entitlement of I know exactly what to do. Um, it also spills over into like, oh, well, I know what you would consent to. And like that, those assumptions is where we start to get in trouble. Lord, just go back to the uh, elbow uh, bump. Yeah, it's most of the politicians are doing it now, too. <laughs> Seeing uh, President-elect Biden elbow bumping people, <laughs> you know, President Obama elbow bump. So it's a thing now. So it's a thing. So you do it's have preferences so, now. It's interesting because I feel like if I got to bump your elbow, we got to be a lot closer than if I got to shake your hand. Well, it's like, right. your, your forearm, <laughs> so I it's like more like the forearm and the elbow connection deal, you know. Yeah, yeah it's still I still close. feel like I still I, feel like. How about I just wave from wave at you from <laughs> six feet away? Right? Like it's like I don't. <laughs> it, it, it's short of a handshake. And I was short, short of a hug, and a partly handshake. But like I said, people are now wanting you know physical contact with people, and you know, handshake is like a universal sign around the world. Uh, in most in most places, say most places in the world, uh, you give you offer your hand. You're offering, uh, let's say, example like um, in, in the military, the salute. The salute. You're raising your your right hand to your your eyebrow. The reason it goes back today shows that you had nothing in your right hand, which is your dominant hand, where you would have your mm -hmm. weapon. So you have that. You shake the hand, which is usually the right hand. It shows that you have no weapon in your hand. So that's really where that, that comes from. And so we, mm -hmm. we made that a tradition. But we do like physical contact because it makes you personable when you're able to do that. Because you go from you know, growing up in New York, I remember I meet somebody, um, a young lady with a group of my friends, you know, first time meeting the person, and you went from like, you know, high and a handshake to leaving, and then you get a hug and kiss on both cheeks. You know, that's just a, so, a sign of respect in some cases, but everyone's different in how it, they- We're definitely socialized and, and that that is a sign of respect and that is how our culture has been set up, especially pre-COVID. Right. But just because there's an expectation or a desire of connection does not mean that I or my son or anybody else owes that to. expectation of right. connection. Correct. And right. so that right. is where having the language lets us all be on the same page so that that expectation is not such a it's not such a beast to navigate through. It's everybody knows where your comfort level is, and that is fine. And as Bobby said earlier in the show, it actually really enhances connection when you do practice consent at a deeper level, when you do show interest mm -hmm. at the deeper level. Um, it actually enhances connection. And sometimes it's the more vulnerable thing to do. But often if you're asking connection of a blind person, you're asking them to be vulnerable as well. Right. So approach right. as such. Right. And it makes, I know for me, it makes me feel 
very seen and very validated and respected. Um, so I think it probably was Laura who I am not a hugger, um, which is weird because in, in certain relationships, I am totally all touchy feely. I'm all in. But in general, I'm not a hugger. Like I'm not the person as soon as we meet up, I'm just like, oh, my God, I need to hug you. Um, I in that in fact, in all actuality, I'm relate a lot to what you just said, George, where you might at the beginning, you start with a, a handshake and then by the end, now you're like to the hug and kiss on both cheeks. Right. Like that's how I usually warm up, even with friends, like even with people I haven't seen forever or people I love and are really close to. And, but just that, that realization of, to me, when somebody asks, would you like a hug? They realize that it's possible that the answer is no. And so right. that makes me feel very seen as a person who sometimes it is a no or it is a not right now. Um, and it just, it's made me a lot more comfortable because I know, at least within my friend group, I'm fortunate to be with people in a friend group that has a lot of consent. And it is a lot of, can I give you a hug? Um, but again, in knowing, sometimes people also express their intention. So that enhanced connection that Laura was talking about too. So sometimes I have friends and they're like, I could really use a hug. Can I hug you right now? Hmm. And so even though if they had maybe not expressed that, if they had just been like, you want a hug? I might go, no. But with this added information that I can make another choice for informed consent of like, okay, my desire to give my friend what they want and what they need and be supportive totally wins in this situation over the fact that I'm not necessarily interested in this physical touch, but I'm willing to do this for a friend. Um, so it, it just can totally enhance and make everybody feel seen and validated and empowered and just all of the things. It just oh, <laughs> makes everything so much better. <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I'm a hugger, but you know, but this thing, I don't just, I don't run in and just grab, tackle people like you're getting a hug, you know. But I've I met people, met people will say like, hey, goes, they'll say I'm a hugger, and you can always say like, I, I, I can imagine Laura saying like, I'm not, you know, it'd be kind of funny, yeah. but it's, but he has that, he has that right and that power to do it, you know. And just like you said, he's, um, you or you said your son was like, you know, shake your hands. I'm not, I don't shake hands. Okay, but at least you know from the get go. Mm -hmm. Right. what the situation is. And I think people want that. Like you said, Bobby, earlier, just, you know, getting it out there. And that's part of the conversation is you can be blunt without being rude. You can be, you know, um, you know, sort of without having to feel that you have to give up your, 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 your power, your empowerment, you know? So I think that's a great that uh, your son at that age can say, Hey, that's not my deal. And either you accept it or not, but, you know, I think that that's, that's a great thing to do. I never thought about, I was always taught, you know, you shake hands. I still do believe that. But if someone told me they don't shake hands, that's perfectly fine with me because that's your right <laughs> and it should be respected. Right. And I, as, as someone who is, who is a hugger, um, you know, I don't often think about whether or not someone would, would want a hug. It's just kind of, you know, for me has always been a, and this, you know, having a family full of huggers, it's like if we've known you five minutes when we say goodbye, you're you're probably gonna get a hug and yeah. <laughs> maybe a kiss. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. it's just one of those Some things. Food. And so it's never oh god, so much food. Um, <laughs> um, but it's it's something that you know I I honestly don't think about a whole lot. Is like would would somebody even want a hug? Or so, and hopefully, you know, at that point, I I feel like I know them enough that maybe they would or they wouldn't or I'd know that but maybe not I especially find as a blind woman that just saying would you like a hug and and them vocalizing yes or no that there's so much verbal communication and and echolocation and where where they are in proximity to myself I do have mm -hmm. some residual vision all of that stuff provides information to me and then I'm clear on whether or not we are hugging and that hug goes so much smoother. Not yeah. right now. I'm holding a drink. One of my friends often has a drink in their hand. <laughs> and that is really important information to know yes, before we is. go bumbling mm -hmm. through. When we go playing bubble cards. <laughs> right. So it, I will it, knock your drink over. 
yeah, it is less awkward to make sure we are on the same page. Right. Take a few seconds to do that than the other way. So I I really appreciate it as the blind woman Mm -hmm. like i i think of that all the time with kissing right so there are some times where i've been dating someone and i didn't realize that they were leaning in for a kiss like maybe it was a spur of the moment type thing and i was talking and so if i'm turning my head i tend to talk with my hands an obnoxious amount so if i all of a sudden get this like ooh squirrel (laughs) moment and it's just like oh yeah but if you're leaning in to kiss i tend to be very expressive right in front of my face with my hands for some reason so it, it's very possible you could get hurt like <laughs> you get smacked you, you gotta let me know like I, I have done that to partners where I didn't realize that they were coming in right there because they were quiet or they were doing something else I was in the middle of a con- or whatever right and so that's just, just that's the you. safety thing right like <laughs> that goes back to your whole thing of like I don't I don't want to unintentionally give you a black eye just because you know it's it's not it ruins the mood um <laughs> so that's that's a good point too on the consent of like okay now we're on the same page and when we right. execute what we've consented to we, we're starting out on the same same page and it just will will flow better absolutely I'm just imagining Bobby and Laura on office party, Bobby smacking people in the face, Laura knocking drinks over. You know, that's what I'm visualizing right now. It's like, and that's uh, a party. Right. George chasing people down the street. I know, right? Hey, hey. I don't want to get Talk smacked to in the face. Yeah. Holding my drink. <laughs> well, we, here in Savannah, we can walk around with an open container. So, yeah. yeah Mississippi, so. too. So, yeah. Well, guys, <laughs> like, there I'm are to visit. some benefits in the South. So I'm from You're North welcome to come and visit. I'll yeah. show you around. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I hate to, to, to do this because this has been such a great conversation. Um, but as far as the show goes, we are going to have to wrap things up. <laughs> <laughs> we had a show oh yeah yeah right it didn't even feel like really. it did it nope um yeah we'll just we'll just piece all this together but um so i really appreciate both of you laura and bobby coming on the show and having this great conversation with us and um would love to have y'all on again sometime um megan you've been kind of quiet over there do you have any final thoughts or comments or questions that you'd like to add I've been very quiet because I've been taking all this information in and it's given me a whole new perspective. So thank you, Laura and Bobby. I do encounter most of what you guys have discussed today and have had some of the same reactions as you guys have had, such as, you know, being a little bit defensive when somebody outright asks me a question about myself without giving me any reason why they're asking and stuff like that um so you guys have given me a lot to think about and i'm sure our listeners as well so thank you both very much for your time and joining us today thank you thank you all for having us we appreciate you guys showing up yeah (laughs) laura do you have any resources where people can um get more information or get assistance if they need it yes um bobby do you want to talk about marching together yeah, I can. Um, so something that recently that Laura and I and a ton of other people have been working on is what is on social media, at least known as the hashtag marching together movement. It may also be found as hashtag blind survivors lead, but at its core, it is a group of blind survivors and victims um, people identify as both Um, that is new terminology that I am like I gotta say both of them (laughs) because someone has expressed their boundary on that and so me honoring their consent and other people's I'm including that in my language now so there is a group there's a blind survivor um, support collective that is offering various types of support, like everything from from peer to peer, if you just need someone to chat with, to um, planning up and coming educational trainings and offering resources and whatever. And um, working alongside that group is a 
organizing team that is doing a lot of things. Like we've had two calls so far. Um, I want to say each of them had maybe around 40 to 50 people who identify as, as blind and survivors or victims or allies and just conversations where people can share what they've gone through, share what they're thinking, unpack things, um, focus on organizing. And so for some people that organizing is pursuing peer supports, for some people it's learnings, for some people it is uh, pursuing legal remedies, for some people it's working within certain organizations that have done harm. But at either rate, that is what is going on and has, has been a very interesting journey to be a part of. But if people were looking for more information, just a few things that I can think of, they're the Blind Survivor Support Collective has both a Facebook group with that name. So again, that's the Blind Survivor Support Collective and an email address that's blindsscollective at gmail.com. So those are two places you can reach out to for information. Um, if there are people who are interested in what the National Federation of the Blind is doing in particular, they have a website dedicated to things around sexual misconduct and misbehavior and, and fixing it is what I will say in the nicest, nicest, nice way possible. Um, <laughs> and that is nfb.org slash survivors. I believe it has an S on it. And if that doesn't work, then delete the S and try nfb.org slash survivor. <laughs> and and but, we'll have links to all this in the show notes. Good. Um, but they have, the NFB has developed a survivor-led task force um, and partnered with RAIN. Um, they are the... Ooh, I forget what the acronym is for. Um, you know, but they are a national organization that does a lot of, of training. I think it's like rape, abuse, and incest um, national network, um, something think you're right. to that. Yeah, effect. I think so. And so the NFB has partnered with them to revise code of conducts. And like, there's a lot of stuff that's up and coming. So I guess the, the moral of this is we have some resources. They'll be in the show notes. Um, stay tuned. Things are developing. And it is it is a fascinating process to, to watch happen and to be a part of. Yeah, it's a uh, rape, abuse, and incest uh, national network. Well, right. right. You were? Yeah, good, good job. Let me show. And also, I would I would like to plug uh, the class that Elise Lore got me introduced to. Um, it's normally in the Bay Area, but COVID has its benefits, so it's over Zoom now. Um, and there's an organization. They the the class name is Navigating Consent. Um, it's through one of the faces of the organization is Dossie Easton. Um, is that her last name? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, she is one of the co-authors of the book, along with Janet Hardy, of the Ethical Slut, um, as well as like there's a new they they've done several books, but the ethical navigating what? consent, the ethical slut. That's a whole other. Okay, that's what I thought you said. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like okay. Whole other topic um, of conversation. Yeah, it's a whole another one. <laughs> um, another different layer of consent and safety uh, and empowerment and all of the things but that class is uh it's over several weeks you can take it from the perspective of a survivor as well as a transgressor um you are allowed to do both tracks like as long as you do them separate cycles of the class if that makes sense mm -hmm. so either way that's an online resource it's a class and it they really dive deep into consent um and and what that means and consent and negotiating things and it's just oh it's a deep class y'all <laughs> like it just is it's really if you have enjoyed listening to laura and i and george and leslie and all of us just run our mouths now and it's giving you some things to think about i feel like that class is it's yeah i'm even I more keep watching to this. see when the next round is going to be to start I just didn't feel like I could start it uh, in this last round when with the hol holidays coming up I was like mm, I have way too much on my plate right now so I'll wait for the next round but I definitely it's something I plan to uh, to take advantage of while they have it online all right well thank you again everyone uh, this has been an, an amazing show as I said and um, this will have a lot of information in the show notes and 
hope that everyone can take advantage of that. I hope that that people got something from this, whether you are sighted or blind or have any other disability or not. Um, I hope there's something that you could take from the show. I, I personally feel like the the theme for the show is um, everyone needs communication classes. Um, <laughs> we need to learn how to talk to each other and how to express ourselves and our needs or understanding other people's needs and just understanding how to communicate better, I think would, uh, would go a long way toward this process, but um, definitely something that um, people should get in, in the mindset of, of thinking how to think about this and think about their interactions with other people in different ways. And uh, so I look forward to seeing how this goes, especially um, as we said in, you know, hopefully a post COVID world where we are, we are suddenly having to, to navigate our interactions with people again, now that we've, we've learned to, you know, for the most part, stay away from each other. How do we, how do we move back closer again and, and kind of integrate ourselves back into society. And, and that may, you know, it may turn out that it changes completely from what we know and that's okay too but we still have to learn to navigate it so with all that being said um please 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 give us your feedback at feedback at handsonsafety.net um our website is up and running it's it's not completely built yet but it's getting there <laughs> um so we it's a work in progress but it is it is online now and um please go visit that give us your thoughts and uh, anything that you'd like to see us talk about in the future or thoughts on what we've talked about in the past, we always love to hear from our listeners. And so with that being said, I'm going to say goodbye until the next episode. And we look forward to bringing y'all another show as always. Perfect. Sounds Thanks. good. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being, Thank you for being here. here. Yes. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs>